Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Guys, way to go. You're almost done with the semester. And who is like severely demotivating, demotivated after that long break? Pretty much everyone. Yeah, it's brutal, right? Getting back, trying to focus for two more weeks. But uh, anyway, uh, great to be back with you. Hope your break was good. And uh, I wanted to share tonight uh, a passage that's uh, from Isaiah and it's usually associated with Christmas because it's a prophecy about the coming of Christ and uh, it was written 750 or so years uh, before Jesus came. So uh, really cool and you know we actually have a copy there is a copy in the Dead Sea Scrolls from 500 BC so uh, this is like uh, Amazing! It's amazing how it was written so far before Jesus and yet reflects his ministry uh, so accurately and powerfully and uh, gives a lot of hope, especially uh, for those of us uh, that live in times of darkness. And uh, so with that in mind, let me read it for us. Uh, it says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray for us again. Uh, Father, we come from a lot of places tonight. Uh, Some of us are weary. Uh, Some of us come from uh, times, uh, situations that feel very dark and discouraging and sad. And others of us uh, come from a very different place than that. And no matter where we come from tonight and what's going on, we pray that you would meet us uh, where we are with your word and change our hearts through it. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, A while ago, I got invited by a friend to go check out the Stores Adventure Park. Anybody been over there? 
Taylor is the only one. Well, you should go, because it's really cool. When he was telling me about it, it's like a ropes course, essentially, and I was like, really? Like, I thought that was cool when I was in like middle school, but uh, it still is really cool. Like, it's really well made and it's like really big and there's all these different like courses within the ropes course that are labeled like ski runs like green and blue and black diamond in terms of difficulty and you know you go they harness you up so you can't fall and you're way up in the trees like grabbing onto things and trying to make it through each part of the course and so we had a really fun time doing it and on the way while we were doing it you kind of like go through these different like courses and there's various like stopping points where you like clip out and clip into a new thing. And, and there was this backup, this line of people at this one spot. And the reason there was a backup was because there was this guy, older guy, way up high, stuck out on the course. Like he's, you know, it's like one of those things where you're trying to like rope yourself across and he's like fallen, but his harness has caught him and he's refusing to give up. He's, so he's dangling there and then like he musters up all his strength and he curses and he screams and he tries to get it and he falls again and in the process like you use all these muscles when you do this that you don't normally use like core muscles and grip muscles and stuff so he's every attempt he's making is like making it harder like he's getting weaker like less and less energy every time but he won't, and this, the people are just like lining up, like waiting for him to leave, and he won't. And finally, finally, he gives up, and they have to like send someone out to like rescue this guy. And this is a passage where God's people are at a point like that in their history. Uh, 740 BC or so, uh, the Assyrian Empire is really getting big now. Like Israel is the small country. And yet they have this promise from God that says that there's going to be someone on King David's throne eternally. And they're thinking like, okay, how is this going to work? Because Assyria is, and there's these other countries like regular Syria and the Northern kingdom of Israel, and they're also threatening. And, um, and so it, God's people, Judah, are like joining up with Assyria, kind of, because Assyria is like really, really bad. But they're thinking like, well, we got to preserve, you know, our king. Our king is from the line of David, and there has to be a king from the line of David. And what are we going to do? And it's just getting worse and worse, not to mention. So they're getting more and more like taken over by this empire, Assyria, at the time. And God's people are more and more worshiping foreign gods. Uh, there's more and more injustice in the society of God's people and things are just really bad. And the question that's looming among God's people at this time is like, are we just going to get swallowed up? Like, is that promise God, are these promises that God made to our forefathers like over now? Is this year, are we all going to like just get swallowed up by Assyria? What about the promise of the throne of David? How could... How can God be real if we're about to get swallowed up, if there's about to be no king? And the way that's depicted in this passage is gloom in verse 1, anguish and darkness. And the question is, you know, will God's people trust in God's promises, his promises of grace to them, or will they trust in their own strategies to try to stay afloat? their strategies of self-rescue. 
And, you know, for us, you know, reading this now, we live in a world where things really aren't that great, right? There's a new variant out there. Uh, there was a school shooting yesterday in our country, and no one even cares because there's one all the time. And there's a lot that's wrong with the, you know, you don't, there's a lot that's wrong with the world. And you don't have to look far down the page of the news to find it. Uh, you know, God's church, there's a lot wrong with the church. If you look at the statistics, a lot of people are leaving church. And there's a lot, of, you know, the church is just not doing very well right now. Uh, think about our own lives. Some of our lives are really, you know, if we're honest, not that great. And if we're honest, we also have all these ways where we run from God. We turn from him. We try to make our own way without him because it seems like everything's crumbling. And so what's the answer when everything is crumbling? Uh, What's the answer when the attempts that you make to fix your life keep making it worse or not better? Uh, What's the answer when we stand guilty before God? Uh, The answer that this passage gives is that a child is born. In other words, a king is coming. And so I just want to look at three quick things to put our hope, help us put our hope in the king. And I want to look at the wonder of his plan. And then I want to look at the wonder of the king and then what life with him is like. So first of all, the wonder of his plan. Uh, this passage is pretty interesting. A lot of unique imagery in it. Um, in verse three, it talks about joy. They will rejoice uh, with joy as with joy at the harvest. Um, think about that image. Uh, back th- think about living back then and farming. Anybody have any farming experience? I don't, not much, a little bit. And, uh, you know, think about like your whole livelihood is dependent on this. You know, it's your job. It's your family. It's your source of money. It is your money. And think about the joy then when you spend a whole season pouring all of yourself into this task of growing dependent on the weather and all these other things. And then imagine the joy when you finally hold like lots and lots of the fruits of your labor of the long season. Think about the joy. That's the picture. Or um, it talks about gladness uh, at the end of verse three there when dividing the spoil. You know, that's talking about war. Like war is awful now and it was awful then. It was worse then because then you couldn't like fire weapons from long distances. And then there was no like news from the war that would come to the families back home until what? Until they saw, they looked up and they saw their people walking back, their loved ones with the spoil. You know, with what, you know, announcing that the nation had succeeded, that they had won the battle. Think about the joy, the gladness of that image. And so it's, it's a great joy. It talks, the image is darkness turning into light. Um, in verse five, there's this image of like every weapon being destroyed, all implements of war just being destroyed permanently. And that's the plan. That's what's, that's what's ahead. And isn't, you know, isn't that the kind of joy in the peace that we want to experience. You know, won't it be great? How is it going to happen? That's where we get into the wonder of his plan. Uh, first of all, talks about Galilee in verse one. Uh, Galilee was a place, part of Israel, 
uh, with lots of Gentiles, though. So there was a lot of Gentiles there. Uh, it was actually the first part of Israel to fall to Assyria, the weakest part of Israel. Uh, so much so that when Jesus came, who was from Galilee, uh, they were, people said, like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Or like, how can anything good come from this part of our country? It's so bad. Um, so it's coming from Galilee. And in verse four, it has this uh, image of you have broken as on the day of Midian. Uh, do, do you know the story of Midian in uh, the book of Judges? It's this, that Midian was the group who was oppressing Israel way back when. Uh, hundreds of years before. And Midian was bad like Assyria. And they were cruel and awful. And God's people wondered how God would deliver them. And listen to this. This is from Judges chapter 6. It's when God calls a rescuer named Gideon to save his people. And he says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Stop there. Isn't that what we all feel sometimes? Like that, that exact quote, Please, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Isn't that like the biggest objection to Christianity? You know, if God is real, why, does everything, why is everything awful? Isn't that the struggle of God's people of all time relating to God in this world? But listen to how that passage goes on. And it says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in all of in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And so that's the story of God calling Gideon to defeat Midian. And Gideon says like what any of us would probably say. He says, you know, I'm from the weakest clan in the weakest tribe of Israel. You know, 12 tribes of Israel, we're the weakest. And I'm the least in my father's house. So he's like, I'm the worst. <laughs> like, I'm the, the last person you should get to do this. And God just responds by saying, but I'll be with you. And so Gideon does what we would all do if we got stuck with this job, which is he gets as many people as possible. He's like, any man come that will fight, come fight. He gathers 32,000 men to fight Midian, who is oppressing his people. And God says, there's way too many. And so Gideon cuts it down, 22,000 people. God says, way, way too many. Eventually, they pare the army down to 300 men, and they defeat Midian. And what you need to see is God is just like this all through the Bible. You know, like the way he starts his whole, the way he starts Israel, this family that he's going to use to save the world, uh, he decides to do it through an old barren woman who's 90 and has never been able to have kids. He says, I'm going to start a family with you. Or he allows, for instance, Joseph to be sold into slavery in Egypt. Uh, he allows his people to be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, when the, he brings them out, he says, you know, let's not go around the Red Sea. Let's go through it. When they go into the promised land that God promises, he says, you know, let's not, 
fight like normal. Let's like march around the city of Jericho and yell to bring it down. Why, why is God like this? It's for his glory. It's so we'll trust him. It's so we'll run to him. Uh, one of my kind of favorite classic movies is The Princess Bride. Anybody seen The Princess Bride? Really fun movie. And uh, one of the characters is Inigo Montoya, who's on a mission to avenge the death of his father. And so he's learned to be a master swordsman. And there's a point in the movie early on where he meets up with the dread pirate Roberts. And he says, I'm going to, his friend Fezzik, he says, I'm going to fight him left-handed. He's right-handed. He says, I'm going to fight him left-handed. And so he fights him left-handed and he's losing, but he's smiling. And the reason he's smiling is because he says, I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed. And then he switches to his right hand and he starts like easily beating him. And then the Dread Pirate Roberts is actually doing the same thing. He's like, I'm not left-handed. And you know, why did they do that? Like they do that to show off how awesome they are, right? Like if you can, it's one thing to beat someone with your dominant hand, but if you can do it left-handed, you're really awesome. You know, th- I think about like if you needed brain surgery, and you're like trying to pick a surgeon and you were able, you were like, well, here's this one surgeon. And he says, watch this. I'm going to perform the exact same surgery that I'm going to do on you. I'm going to do a blindfolded though. And he does it. Imagine if you'd be like, yes, you do mine. Keep your eyes open though, but you (laughs) do mine. Okay. God, his glory is shown when he stacks the odds against himself and still prevails. And we just need this so bad because our tendency is to be like, you know, I'm kind of awesome. I can do a lot. You know, I, like I need God, sure, but like not that much. When the reality is like, you, you don't know enough to know how much you need him. Like you have more like need, you can't even begin to grasp God. Uh, that's how far we are in our thinking from God. You know, I, have, I had a professor when I was a grad student who said, you have more in common with my dog than you do with God. And we don't like that, right? It's not, it's not our favorite thing to realize about ourselves. And so what will make us bow? What will turn us our hearts away from our self-focus to God, uh, the great salvation of the Lord, when it's all stacked against him, like in this case, and he still prevails, he still saves. And that's where we get to the wonder of the king in the last two verses here, verses six and seven. Uh, it says, a child is born and this child is the eternal king. And they show us so much about who this king, you know, more than we typically think of when we think of Jesus. Uh, It says he's the wonderful counselor. Um, Take the picture of a counselor that you have out of your mind, like not like a therapist, but uh, think about like a war, like a strategist. Uh, You know, so a supernatural strategist. Uh, someone who's got it all mapped out, who can f- see 20 moves ahead. Uh, anybody see that Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit, that was on, really popular a while ago? It's the story of this chess prodigy, this girl, and uh, you know, she just finds, she learns the game of chess and kind of realizes she's amazing at it. And it depicts her in all these ways, like kind of seeing like many moves ahead. She's like, 
her brain is just like crazy and she like maps it all out on the ceiling of her room at night and she's just like playing games in her head and she can see ahead so many moves so much so that like if someone like me were to play her in chess it would be like we were playing two different games because i know like the basic rules of the game and how to play but like she's playing with so much more than me uh, she would destroy me in chess without even trying um, that's kind of what the wonderful counselor thing is about. Uh, a ruler with wisdom beyond human capability. Like, he sees it all. He's got it mapped out uh, in a way that you could never conceive, uh, which is exactly what God's people need at this point when Assyria is looming and they're about to be swallowed up, and that's what we need too. You know, because honestly, like, how are you going to figure it out? How are you going to map out your life in this world? Uh, so wonderful counselor, almighty God. Almighty God is just a title of God in the Old Testament, and it's given to this child that it's talking about. A child who is the one mighty God. He's got all the power. All power in this world is derivative of his power. That's who he is. Uh, it says he's everlasting father. Also a title of God in the Old Testament given to a baby. This is a child who is the one mighty God, the one with the power to carry out his wise plans. Um, everlasting father d- denotes like, it, it means like benevolent protector. Um, I think about when, my, when I became a father seven or so years ago, uh, my daughter Margot was born and I can remember holding her in my arms for the first time you know, just after she was born, having never had a child before, never been a dad before until then, and holding her and immediately having this thought, which was literally this, if anyone ever hurts her, I will destroy them. That was like the first instinct of me as a dad. Imagine an eternal, perfect version of that. That's who Jesus is for you. He's an everlasting father and he's the prince of peace. Uh, We talked a while ago about how peace in the Bible isn't peace. Like we know it, it's the Hebrew word shalom, which means universal flourishing. It means the healing of every effect of sin. You know, because sin is not just about one sin, it's sin screws up everything so that one sin creates more sin and it creates this web and it's impossible to untangle. And yet this king, this child is the prince of peace where all the effects of sin will be healed. And so what's our part in this whole plan? What do we have to do to make it happen? Nothing. Did you notice how it's like written in the past tense? Even though it was written 700 or 800 years before it happened, for to us a child is born. That's how sure it is that it's happening. It's unconditional prophecy. It's not based on anything but the promise of God itself. It means you can't fail so much that you screw up the plan. You know, a virus can't get so out of control that it screws up the plan. You can't out-sin his gracious plan to save you. And maybe you feel like a failure tonight. I often do. 
or maybe your life is a real mess. Uh, or maybe you just look at the news or s- the darkness of the world and it kind of makes you want to give up. Don't forget about the child. Don't forget that he will rule forever. Don't forget that everything bad is going away. Don't forget that there's, the light is already shining and it will get brighter until we see it in its full glory. Uh, it will not go out. And so what will life with the king be like? Uh, you, you know, we, we, we can't stop the plan from happening. We can miss being part of it. We can miss being one of God's people, but God's plan is happening. The king is coming. And so what will life with the, what, what should life with the king be like? How ought we to live now that the king has come and that he's coming again? Uh, simple answer, live like he's the king. Because he is. Be like him. Uh, step out in faith and wait. Stack the odds against yourself and watch him work. Uh, when the odds are stacked against you, or step out in faith and do the difficult thing he's called you to even though it's hard. Uh, Live with hope. You know, when things go really wrong and when things like are really awful, we often despair. But uh, maybe what we should do is kind of wonder in our heads, like, how's God going to fix this? How will God's glory be displayed through my suffering? Uh, You know, maybe living life with the king means taking the bold step of coming clean. Even though, you know, about something you're hiding that's not good, even though it'll screw up your life, because this says you can't screw up your life. You know, maybe it just means allowing God to be your safety net instead of money, resume, reputation, status, family, whatever it is for you. It means you can rest. You know, more and more what is going on with college students today is just like college students uh, struggle deeply with anxiety and cannot rest. And the anxiety numbers are going way up, 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 up. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one reason is because uh, many college students live without the security of knowing that there is a king on the throne that is for them. So how can we live it out? You know, like... How can we live this way? Uh, Well, one thing that helps is we know more than Isaiah's audience knew. Uh, Because they knew this, but we know one more important thing about the king that seals his glory and greatness. Uh, One more aspect of how he stacked the deck against himself and proved victorious, which is that uh, he sent this child to die. He said, I'm going to send the king and kill him. That's how I'm going to win. I can win with a dead king uh, because Jesus ultimately came to conquer death. He came uh, to be born in humility and die in humiliation and rise from the dead and conquer death. And that's how he actually becomes the king. And he dies so that we can reign with him. Because you know that's what's going to happen when Jesus returns is that his people are going to reign with him. So as you live in this world of darkness, remember that there's a light that's never going to go out. 
Remember that one day God's people will reign with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that encourages us tonight as we do live in a world full of gloom. Help us to live with hope and to rest and to rejoice in your salvation. Uh, Would you heal our world, heal our families and all the ways our lives are broken that we feel and uh, would we have a taste of your peace uh, even now and uh, help us to see more of the King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.